Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will continue the start of our new Thursday and Friday teaching series from the book of Exodus. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org. Now, that was the system. There's just one problem with learning the Bible that way. And to see the problem with that method, you have to look at John chapter 5, verse 37 through 40. Very essential part here. John 5, 37 through 40 says this. The Lord Jesus Christ is speaking here in John chapter 5. So you like to turn to that. John chapter 5. And, and the Lord Jesus Christ is speaking about himself with regards to the scriptures. And what has occurred here is that in John chapter 5, which opens up with him at the temple in Jerusalem, large public area, whenever you read the Lord Jesus Christ speaking, and you paint that picture within your mind, and you see him there standing, and see him there speaking, you be sure to put into the picture the group that he's speaking to, because that makes all the difference in the world. And that helps you to understand, is he speaking to the masses? Is he speaking to his enemies? Is he speaking to the Gentiles? Is he speaking to the Roman soldiers? Is he speaking to his disciples? Is he speaking to the Father alone? Is he speaking to only James and John and Peter? Who is he speaking to? Very important whenever you read a verse where it says, and Jesus said, to look up before that verse and put the right group into the picture, the context, because that will tell you so much. So when you come to chapter 5 in John, you'll find in verse 1 that this was a feast of the Jews and he had went up to Jerusalem. So now large groups of people and the Jewish people are there. And he's, first of all, in verse 2, he's by a sheep market, a pool, which is a place called Bethesda. And there's weak and sick people there, and, and, and he heals them. And now there's a large crowd that is created, and the big contest has come up. You did that on the Sabbath day. And now his enemies have stepped forward, and they're accusing him of doing that. And he says to them, and he's speaking to his enemies in verse 17, and he says, my father is working now, when why shouldn't I be working? And now they're, verse 18 says, and they're seeking to kill him as he brings that out. And he's explaining to them, about why they are seeking to kill him. And, and you see, that's the context and that's the background. Within that context, within that background, he says the words of verse 37, and these are the words. And he says to them, to his enemies, to the crowds, to the multitude that are there, he says, the Father himself has sent me. And he has borne witness of me. And then he turns, and again, he's speaking to his enemies who are accusing him of having done wrong by healing on the Sabbath day and wanting to kill him. And he says to them, you have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his shape. Two things he said. He said, you never heard his voice and you never saw a shape. Now, this is the Lord Jesus Christ, who is God in the flesh. If they knew who was speaking to them, they would have said, like Thomas said, my Lord and my God, and they would have said, as we speak to you, 
we see your shape. We see the shape of God. They would have realized as we hear you, because in this same book, he's identified as the word. In the beginning was the word. It says, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And later on in that chapter, it says, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. They would have realized this was God. They would have realized the words that we're hearing are the words of God. We hear the words of God. We hear the voice of God when he speaks. And we see the shape of God. So when he says, you have neither heard his voice in any time, of course they could hear his voice. He was speaking to them. But they didn't hear the voice of God in what he was saying. They didn't see him as God. They didn't hear him as God. They didn't see him as God. So that's what he meant. He says, you have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his shape. And then he said, and ye ye have not his word abiding in you. He says, you have not his word abiding in you. You don't have the word of God living in you. The word of God does not have a house inside of you. You don't have the word of God living in you, abiding, dwelling, setting up his tent, his tabernacle at home inside of you. And then he said, for whom he hath sent, not what, but whom, for whom he hath sent, him ye believe not. There it is, right there. That's the whole problem. He said, it's not a case of you don't have the information that I am Jesus of Nazareth, uh, was born a carpenter's son, and, and now am I in a public ministry, and I'm a rabbi, and I have uh, uh, followers who are following after me, and my particular view on this subject is that, and my particular view on that subject is this. No, no, no. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, whom he hath sent, the Father hath sent. What's that the issue of? That's the whole issue of the Messiah. The Mashiach, or the Messiah, refers to the anointing, where the oil was placed over the head of the priest. In other words, whenever a priest was to be commissioned, or started off, or sent into his career, in his ministry, as a priest, as a spokesman for God, he was typically anointed with oil. You like to think about it as like the the christening of the ship, the breaking of the bottle of champagne at the stern of the ship, and the ship rocks off, so God doesn't do that, but the oil on the head, and that starts the ministry, and that's the term Mashiach, or Messiah. So whenever you see the term Messiah, Always think of these words, whom he hath sent. He is the one who was sent from heaven to earth. So that's the term there. So he said, for whom he, the Father, hath sent, him ye believe not. You did not believe God's great messenger, the Messiah, him the Lord Jesus Christ. You have not believed him. So therefore, you have these problems. What problems? Because you didn't believe that God the Father sent him. Because you didn't believe that he is God the Son who is sent, God himself. Because you didn't believe that, you didn't hear the voice of the Father. Problem number one. You never saw the shape of God because here he was in the flesh. And you don't have his word living inside of you. 
And then he says these words. He says, search the scriptures. He challenges them. Go ahead. You who have already gone through Bet Sefer and memorized the first five books of the Moses. You who have gone through Bet Talmud and memorized all the rest so that now I know who I'm speaking to. I know you have memorized the 39 books of the scriptures and called in the Old Testament at that time. That's the only scriptures there were. So that you have memorized the 39 books of the scriptures. And he says to them, search the scriptures. They could stand there and recite the scriptures. They could stand there, and if they had the time, they could go from Genesis 1-1 to the end of Malachi and recite it through flawlessly, perfectly, not missing one jot, one tittle, one word. He's just the people he's talking to. And he says, search the scriptures. What do you mean, search the scriptures? I can recite the whole scriptures. No, no, no. Go and look again. Search again. Because what he's saying is here is that with all of your Bible memorization that you have done and all of your knowledge of the letters as they are, you missed. You missed it all. So he says, go back and look. He said, search the scriptures. And then he says, for in them, that's the scriptures, for in them ye think You have eternal life. See, he's saying, you got it wrong. You think that in these letters and in these words that you have eternal life. You think that by standing here, because you've gone through Betzelfer, because you've gone through Bet Talmud, because you've memorized 39 books of the Bible, you think that just because you can stand here and recite it perfectly, that that gives you eternal life. You think that that's what life is. You think that because you go into the Bet Talmud and when you're reciting scriptures that you do this action back and forth, back and forth, and you hold your scrolls and you, you recite, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and the earth was without form and void. And he says, you think that when you speak and when you daven and you just speak these words and these words and you know them, you know them better than most of us know them. You think that that's eternal life? He said, it's not. So he challenges them, go back again. Go back and find what you missed. Find the treasure that was there, that God put for you there. And so he says, he says, search the scriptures. For in them you think you have eternal life. You don't have eternal life. You've memorized it. You didn't get eternal life, but you think there's eternal life? Go ahead. And then he says these words. He tells them what the treasure is. They, the scriptures, are they which testify of me. They are they which testify of me. If you don't see me in the scriptures, you lost it all. If you don't find me in the scriptures, you wandered in the scriptures in darkness. If you don't come to me through the scriptures, you just had a great, very, very mind-engaging and exhausting religious experience. But you didn't get eternal life. And you didn't get the treasure. 
and you lost it all. And you were just much as darkness as when you came. Because these lead you to me. That's why he said these words. You go back and look at them again. He says, the Father himself which sent me hath borne witness of me. You've never heard his voice because you're not hearing my voice, he was saying. You've never seen God's shape because you won't acknowledge I'm God. And you don't have his word abiding in you because my spirit doesn't live in you. And I am the word of God. That's my name, he would say. And then he said, for whom he hath sent, whom he has sent, him you believe not. He says, because you reject me, you reject it all, you lose it all. He says, and then he says, go back again. Go back again and relearn the scriptures, re-see the scriptures, review the scriptures from a new point of view, from a new sight, from a new understanding. What's the new point of view? What's the new understanding? Very simple. The Lord Jesus Christ is God Almighty. And the Bible, the words of God, are his words that have proceeded from his mouth. He is the God who was in the beginning who created the heavens and the earth. He is the God who was at the burning bush who told Moses, I am that I am, the eternal one. It's him. It's all about him, the Lord Jesus Christ. He was sent to earth for unto us, A child is born him, for unto us a son is given him. And now he's standing there. And he says, and if you don't see it from that point of view, and if you don't view it, all you've done is memorized a lot of dead words that'll bring you no benefit at all. So he says, they are they that testify of me. And so now the right, the question that immediately comes in the mind is, what do I do? What's the solution? How do I fix this? It's so terrible. I've gone through years. I can't even tell you the number of hours that I've taken in order to memorize all this. Years and years of my life have been devoted to doing this back and forth and just trying to recite it and get it right. Did I get it right? Did I get it right? Did I get it right? Oh, good. I can go to sleep now. Next morning. Did I get it right? Did I get it right? I'll repeat it. I'll recite it. I'll do it again. I'll do it again. Did I get it right now? Okay. Next morning. Did I get it right? Did I get it right? And a whole classroom of these kids are sitting around and they're going like this and they're deciding and writing and deciding one is listening to the other and says you didn't got it wrong and they're just, all of that. And you're saying I missed eternal life? Yes. So what, how do I fix it? He said it in verse 30. He said, and you will not come to me that you might have life. He's saying to them, the fix, the solution to it all, Come to me. He's saying, come to me. Just come to me. Just as you are a sinner, come to me. Poor, come to me. Despicable, wretched, disgusting, come to me. Blind, come to me. Having nothing, come to me. I'll fix it. I made you. I can fix you. That's what I'm in the business of doing. I am God and I am love. Come to me. He says, come to me that you might have life. Go away from me, you won't have life. Go to the scriptures without me, you won't have life. 
come to me through the scriptures, you'll have life. That's what he said. It's all about those words. Come to me. Come to me. Verse 40. You will not come to me that you might have life. Those are powerful words. Come to me. Now, when we do come to the Lord, what kind of life do we have when we come to him? Right. Well, you know, it's a, it, it, in our life is described in Genesis 2-7, where it says, And the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground. And then it says, He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. This is the life that he is talking about. It's a life in the soul, not a life in the body. It's a life in the spirit. How does this life come? By God breathing breathing into us the breath of life. You see, we, because of sin, are dead. We start off dead. Our souls are dead. Our spirits are dead. We don't know God. We have no idea who God is. God is very, very far, very, very distant from us. But when we come to him for life, then he, in, in, in essence, he breathes unto us and we're alive to him. We become a living soul, living spirit. What does it mean? It means we respond to him. For example, when you go to a dead corpse and you're a live person and you speak to the dead corpse, hey, you say to the dead corpse, you know, get up or look up. You know, what's the matter with you? How are you today? You have no response from the dead corpse. Why? Because he's dead. He means there is no response. When God comes to us as a dead soul, as a dead spirit, and God says to us, hey, get up. What's the matter with you? We have no response to God. When we go to church, for example, or to a house of worship, when we hear the word of God being being preached upon, we could care less. It's so boring. We practically fall off the pew in absolute boredom. Why? Because the because there's no response on our part, because we're dead inside. But when we come to him and he makes us alive, all of a sudden we hear the voice of God in the scriptures and we respond to him. Yes, Lord, speak for thy servant heareth. That's a sign of life. That's a sign of life. It's a life inside. It's also a life that's eternal. That was referred to by David, king of Israel, in Psalm 23, 6, where he said, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. That's for the days of his life on earth. And then he said, And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's eternal life. That's eternal life because there's spiritual life, because there's life in the soul that came to him on earth. And so you described this kind of life we can have to, with the Lord when we come to him, but how does a person come to him for life? Describe that. Well, the first thing that has to be realized is there is no one, you know, I heard an atheist one time say, you know, there's no one that wants peace more than anybody but uh, than, than me. And if there's no one, oh, no, sorry, he said, there's no one that wants to live forever more in this room than I do. Well, there's one person who wants man to live forever more than any man does, and that's God. So the first thing that has to be realized is that it's God who wants to give life to man. Man does not bend the arm of God and force him into giving him life. 
God wants to give man life. God wants to save every man. God, who will have all men to be saved. God, who is not willing that any man should perish, but that all men should come to him repentant. See, that's God. And it's very, very important to understand that it's God that wants to give man life. Even though man has made himself dead, God wants to make him alive again. So it says in John 1, 11, that he came to the Jewish people. He came unto his own, and his own, the Jewish people, received him not. I think we all understand the meaning of that verse. But the second verse after that, which is uh, verse 12, but as many as received him, what does it mean to receive him? Receive him as what? Receive him as a man? No. Receive him as God. Receive him as the Messiah. Receive him as the Savior. Receive him as the only one who can save a person from their sins, can justify them, can bring them to heaven, can save them from hell. As many as received him that way, it says, to them he gave power or authority to become sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born. That's life. That's where life begins at birth, which were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So what does it mean? How does a person come to him for life? Very simply to come to him and to say, oh God, I'm dead. Oh God, I'm a sinner. Oh God, I know I'm on my way to hell. Oh God, I deserve nothing. Please, oh God, save me from my sins through the Lord Jesus Christ. I receive him as the Bible claims that he is and as he says that he is, as God himself, as the Messiah, as the Savior Please, I throw down the weapons of my warfare and save me from my sins. Then you have confidence that God, as he has revealed himself in the Bible, will save you from your sins, will give you that eternal life, and that's how a person comes to him for life. So you've described this wonderful life, and you've described how we can come to him, and maybe there was a listener out there today that did receive him by listening to this, but how can they now, in turn, go and take that life that they've now received and give it to others. And that's God's will. That's God's will. God is a life giver. You become a child of God. And God says, now you become a life giver. And he explains to us how we do this in 2 Corinthians five eighteen through 21, where it says, all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. Point number one is to realize we as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ have been reconciled to God by Jesus Christ. That has to be embedded on our minds. That has to be drilled. We have to drill this into ourselves. We have to see ourselves. I have been reconciled to God by the Lord Jesus Christ. God has reconciled me to himself by the Lord Jesus Christ. Then that's Then the next step, he says, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. So it's it's, uh, congratulations on your birthday, and now congratulations, you've been enlisted. You've been given a wonderful, wonderful privilege called the ministry of reconciliation. What's the ministry of reconciliation? He says in verse 19, to wit, in other words, you speak, you tell, you declare, you proclaim. 
that God was in Christ. When you look at the Lord Jesus Christ, you are looking at a human that is God in the flesh. God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself. He was, this was the job he was doing. He said, come, let's be friends. Come, let's cast down the weapons of your warfare. Come, let's surrender yourself to God. Come into the fullness, safety, and love of God. That's what it means, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, not wanting to judge them, and committed to us the word of reconciliation. What's the word of reconciliation? The B-I-B-L-E. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. In other words, we beg people, But we beg people on the authority of the word of God, on the behalf of God, please do not go to hell. We pray you be reconciled to God. And what is the specific message? Verse 21, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God. The message is all what God did. The message is what God planned, what God executed, what God made possible for us. And what was that? The Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's Isaiah 53. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 puts it this way, for he hath made him to be sins for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Hallelujah, what a savior. Thank you for joining us today. Join us again next week as we continue in Genesis and in Exodus. Now, are you interested in learning more about the Jewish people? Well, we've been offering this entire week Tom Cantor's new book on the life of Joseph talks about the Jewish people's past, present, and future, and it's called Understanding the Jewish Messiah and the History and Future of the Jewish People as Seen Through the Life of Joseph. Now, it's nearly 70 pages, and if you'd like to obtain a copy of this book, please call us today at 1-800-247-3051. Once again, that's 1-800-247-3051, or go to friendshipwithgod.org. Thanks for listening, and join us again next week at the same time.